Thanks for tuning in to the Three Strands podcast. You're about to hear an episode from our Sunday morning worship service. To learn more about Three Strands, visit our website, threestrands.church. All right, welcome to the end of this series. If you missed any of the beginning, I hope you'll go back and check out the podcast. It's like one sermon spread over four weeks. And uh, you guys, uh, raise your hand if you've ever seen The Matrix. If you've ever seen The Matrix. Not like in real life, like the movie. If you've seen The Matrix in real life, we need to actually, we need to make sure we get you some mental health professional care here. But, but if you've ever seen the movie, it's about half and half, it looks like. So I was going to buy the, you know, like the red and blue, like DayQuil and NyQuil pills. You know what I'm talking about? So I was going to buy those this morning to hold out like as an illustration, but even the generics were like 11 bucks. I was like, that's not worth all that. Let's just use our imaginations instead, okay? And so uh, you remember that scene where Morpheus like has the red and the blue pill and he holds them out to Neo? People haven't seen The Matrix like, what's this idiot talking about? But just hang with me for a second for all the sci-fi lovers in the room, okay? So Morpheus holds out the red and the blue pill uh, to Neo and he says, you have to pick, you have to choose the pill. And it's like, the, the, it turns out the pill doesn't actually like do anything. It's just like a tracer. But it just kind of symbolizes his desire to go one way or another, one direction or another. And, uh, and so he's like, oh, if you choose the one pill, it's like, you know, you, you get to find out how deep the rabbit hole goes. You get to ex- expose to all the truth. Uh, if you choose the other pill, like you just go to sleep and you wake back up in your bed and pretend like none of this ever happened, right? And, uh, and Neo's about to choose the pill that like is going to show him the, 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 the answers to everything he's always ever wanted to know. And just before he grabs the pill, Morpheus is like, now listen, all I'm promising you is the truth, right? That's how I feel today. It's, it's like you come into church and it's like we're holding out the pill and we're like, hey, we're going to give you all the answers to all your hopes and dreams and everything you've ever wanted to know about life. We're going to tell it to you. And then you're like, yeah, I want it until it's like, I'm just like, hey, I'm just offering you the truth. Nothing more. We're not going to candy coat it or sugarcoat it. We're just going to give you the truth. And you may not like everything you hear, but it's just going to be the truth. And that's kind of how I feel about this study as we wrap it up today. I'm going to try to do my best to take the first three weeks and, and kind of wrap them all together in a neat little package for you to kind of like uh, understand in your minds. But you may not like the outcome. Like you may not like where it ends. And so I just want to like let you know that up front. Like this is your choice. You get to choose if you want to know the truth and if you want to live by the truth or if you want to keep living the lie or keep living with mental health that's just like crippling you. It's going to be on you today. And so each week of this series, I've been starting with Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It's kind of the key verse for this series where Paul writes that we're supposed to have the same attitude or some translations say mind or mindset that Christ Jesus had. And every week I've shared with you that we don't, are not looking into the whole chapter, but the rest of Philippians chapter 2 then goes on to describe what the attitude or mind or mindset that Jesus had. It goes on to tell us what it looked like and what it was all about so that we know that's the attitude or the mindset or the mind that we're supposed to copy. We're supposed to become like that somehow. And it was three things, right? I've been telling you every week. It's an attitude of humility, an attitude of obedience, and an attitude of self-sacrifice. That was Jesus. In a nutshell, that was the life Jesus lived. A life of obedience, a life of humility, and a life of self-sacrifice. And I ask you just to kind of size up your own life. 
And maybe you struggle with mental health. Maybe you struggle with anxiety or depression or loneliness or fear, anger. Maybe you struggle with some of those things really deeply. But just for a second, take a step back and look at your own life and be honest. Are those the qualities that define your life? I live a really humble existence. I rarely, if ever, am bragging about myself. I rarely, if ever, am trying to put myself out there as having it all together. I'm almost always just taking the low road, taking the weak, humble position. Is that what would describe your life? Is your life described or defined by absolute obedience to God, no matter what it costs you? Because that was Jesus' life. And what about self-sacrifice? Is your life known more for the things you do for others or the, all the effort you put into making your own life successful? Yeah, you're a good student and you're a hard worker and, and you save your money wisely, but do you do all of that just so that you are something? Or do you do all of that somehow to serve others? Because that's what Jesus was known for. His mindset, his mind was humility, obedience, and self-sacrifice. And that's what we're trying to get through this series. If we can get to that place where our thoughts are like Jesus' thoughts, we'll have better mental health. It's really that simple. And you get to choose. It's, it's a fight. It's a battle that we're in. But God's word could not be more clear that you get to choose your thoughts. It doesn't always feel like that. You can't choose everything around you. You have no control or choice over your circumstances a lot of times. You can't always choose your feelings. You can't choose what other people do. But you can choose your thoughts you can use God's weapons to fight back against what has trapped you or paralyzed you inside your own mind. I've been reading these verses the whole series too. Let me read them one more time for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3, kind of describes this fight. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture every rebellious thought and teach them to obey Christ. It's a fight. It's a battle, but not like any other battle. It's a battle we're fighting inside, in our thoughts, in our minds, in our brains. Paul describes it like this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly place. Doesn't it, doesn't it come into focus when you like read it over and over in God's Word? Does it clarify for you like you're not fighting against your circumstances? You're not fighting against your paycheck or against your boss. You're not fighting against your husband or your wife or your kids. You're not fighting against all the things you can see. You're fighting a spiritual battle. And you've got to use spiritual weapons to defeat it. You've got to use the weapons God says will tear down those strongholds. Those thoughts that have become so a piece of you that they now define how you think about yourself. They're so strong inside of you that nothing seems to be able to break through them. And you're always just going to be a loser because you've decided you're a loser. You're always just going to be lonely because you've decided you're lonely and nobody loves you. You're always just going to be depressed because you've decided and told yourself for so long that none of it's ever going to work out in your favor. The world's against you. Everybody is against you. Nobody ever really has your back. And you've said those things to yourself for so long 
that they've become who you are on the inside. You need to fight back with God's weapons. A better diet, more rest, some exercise, those are all good things, but they aren't going to defeat these enemies. You've got to use God's weapons, weapons in your mind, weapons that he's given you through the Holy Spirit to fight back against mental health issues. I was thinking about some of these things, trying to wrap them up in my head this week, and uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if this will make sense to you or not, but I kind of came up with this little formula where we're battling against anger and depression and anxiety, and see if this helps you understand it if you think through it. Like, isn't anger really just like a blocked goal? Like you're driving and you want to get somewhere and then somebody cuts you off and you're angry? Why are you angry? You're angry because they blocked your goal. That's like the loudest sound of the smallest little thing. Look at her. She's so tiny and she's like, it's awesome. But uh, isn't that true? Like you get cut off in traffic. What are you angry about? You're really angry because you wanted to get somewhere at a certain time and that person's slowing you down. They are blocking your goal, right? Isn't that really what anger is? Just a blocked goal? What about, uh, what about depression? Isn't depression just an unattainable goal? You, you have goals in your head like this, like, hey, I just want everything in my life to feel good. Well, that's not attainable. Everybody has pain, right? Or maybe you think, like, I want to have a marriage that doesn't take a lot of work. That's not attainable. Not one that's going to last, at least. It's going to take work. Or you think, like, man, I just don't want anybody I love to die. Well, that's not attainable. And so whenever that stuff does happen then, because you set it up in your mind for this, this goal that you need to feel okay about yourself, now you feel depressed when somebody dies. See, it's one thing to grieve when somebody dies. It's a whole other thing to be depressed. Everybody grieves when somebody they love dies. But some people are, either, are able to move on. And some people get stuck in that moment the rest of their life. Have you set up an unattainable goal like, hey, nobody in my life's allowed to die? Well, I got news for you. We're all going to die, like at some point. And so it's like, have you set up an unattainable goal? And that's kind of causing your depression. And then isn't anxiety really just a, a goal that's like undefined or uncertain in your mind? You think things like, oh, where do I really want to be in five years or or. Uh, or who do I really want to be with down the road? And you can't really define these things because you don't know the answer. And they're what really kind of trigger your anxiety. How's this going to work out? What am I going to do there? What's it going to be like in that environment? And so you're thinking about something and you can't really like set the goal because you don't know what it's going to be like. It's uncertain. And so we battle these things, but we battle them all internally. They spill out into our lives, into kind of physical symptoms too, but we've just battled them all in our minds. Here, I made a quick list um, the other day of just like some symptoms I could think of that are common for like anxiety, depression, uh, maybe even anger or loneliness. But just think, this is, it's not an exhaustive list, but just listen to these symptoms and see if any of these are true of you. So some common symptoms for these disorders or even just these struggles are that you start sleeping a lot. Ironically, it's also a symptom if you can't sleep at all. And so see, maybe you're on one side of that or the other. All of a sudden, the last couple of years, you haven't been able to sleep at all or you can't seem to get out of bed. It could be that you're struggling with depression or anxiety or, or loneliness or fear, right? So those are common symptoms. What about like sudden weight loss? That's kind of a symptom. You're struggling with anxiety or depression. 
Ironically, on the other side of that, sudden weight gain can be a symptom also. You find yourself packing on a lot of weight, you could be doing a lot of self-coping eating, right? If you find yourself not able to put on any weight and losing a bunch of weight, you could just be so stressed and depressed, you don't even want to like pick up a fork. So it could be on either side of that, right? What about this symptom? You start isolating yourself often. All you really want to do is be by yourself. Maybe things that once were enjoyable to you now are completely unfulfilling. That's a common symptom for people with depression or anxiety. The things they used to find joy in no longer do it anymore. They just can't seem to find contentment or peace. They really don't want to do anything. You just want to like hunker down and be by yourself. They're not all the symptoms, but they're some of the symptoms. If you're struggling or wrestling with some of those symptoms, hey, if that's you, it's possible. I'm just saying it's possible. Maybe you're more anxious than you realize. Maybe depression has more of a hold on you than you thought it did. Maybe you're lonelier or more afraid than you knew you were. Is that you? That's what we're going to talk about. And you can talk yourself into being whatever you think you are. So that's where the battle is. As, as much positive things as you can talk yourself into, you can talk yourself into negative things too. We can talk ourselves into believing exactly what we think is going to happen is for sure going to happen. That we know the future. We know exactly how it's going to pan out. Both these are dangerous ideas. Talking yourself into the worst possible things you can think about yourself and talking yourself into believing the worst possible outcomes are definitely going to happen. And so what God says in his word we need to do is what I'm going to call today mind management. You might look at that and think, like, I don't remember seeing those words in the Bible. Well, I can't find that exact phrase in the Bible. But I can see a lot of instruction in the Bible about how we manage our mind. So we're going to call it mind management today. And I want to just kind of share with you today, like, why I think we need to manage our minds better. I came up with kind of three ideas. They're probably not the only three ideas um, in God's Word. But let me show them each to you. And then I'll show you just one example in God's Word of where those come up. But three reasons why you need to manage your mind. Here's the first one. Because your thoughts... Your thoughts control your life. Your thoughts control your life. It's not your circumstances. It's not the other people around you. It's your thoughts. Let me show you an example in God's Word. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as a man thinks within himself, so he is. Of course, you guys have all heard the old saying, or many of you have heard the old saying, I think, therefore I am, right? And so it's this idea that your thoughts actually control your life. And I've shared throughout this series that you'll always move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. That's how we operate as humans. Here's the second one. Your thoughts control your life and your mind is the battleground for sin. Let me show you Romans chapter 7 starting in verse 21. I have discovered this principle of life, Paul writes, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what's wrong. Now, any Christian in the room understands this battle. I love God's law with all my heart. I really do love God. I really do love His law and His instruction. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. You see what he's saying? I really do love God and want to do the right thing. But there's a battle going on in my brain. Another power attacking my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. I love that. That sums up this series perfectly, doesn't it? 
You can do all these right things. And you can be in all these right places. And you can love the Lord with all your heart and still be trapped by depression or anxiety or fear. You can still be trapped by anger or loneliness. There's this other power fighting you in your mind. And that's where the battleground is for your sin. These are important things of life, that your thoughts control your life and that your mind is the battleground for sin. And here's the third one. Your mind produces peace and contentment. Now just look at that list for a second. I'll read you one verse about that third one in a second. But just look at that list for a second. Those are important things. I mean, I want control over my life. I want my life to go in a certain direction. Well, your thoughts are the key to that. I, I, I'm a Christian, and so it's like I want to battle against sin. Your mind is where that battle happens. I would love for my life to have a bunch of peace and contentment. Your mind is where those things are produced. Look at what God says through Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 6. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting your, the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. The life God wants you to have, a life of abundance and contentment and peace. Letting the Spirit control your mind is how that happens. So look at all three of those. Jot them down. They're super important. They're the reason we have to manage our minds. Because it's what controls our life. It's where we have victory or don't have victory over the sin or the things we don't really want to do. It's where we get peace and contentment from. And almost everybody in the room, even if they weren't a Christian, even if they didn't believe in a God, would, would want those three things. They would want control over their life. They would want to win the battle over some habits or behaviors they didn't want to do. And they would want peace and contentment. Your mind is the key to that. What's taking place in your brain is going to decide whether or not that happens. And as long as we have no time for mind management, as long as we have no time for being still with the Lord, for praying in solitude, for pressing into the Jesus way, our emotions and feelings will keep driving the ship, keep steering us in ways we don't really want to go, keep controlling our lives, keep calling all the shots. It's as if over the last four weeks in church and in life group, we've been handing you the prescription. And you get to choose to go home and set it on the shelf and come up with all, good, all kinds of good reasons why you shouldn't take the medicine. Or you can press in and take it. And, and I know they all sound like logical reasons. For you. Oh, that doctor doesn't know what they're talking about. I've tried that before. It won't work. I think I'll just kind of deal with this on my own. I hate taking medicine. I don't really enjoy it, so I'm not going to do it. These are all the things people are saying about Jesus' approach to mind management. I don't like it. I've kind of tried it before. It's not going to work. I don't really think he has the answers. And so you resist it all along the way. But it's a fight, and you have a choice over it. I love, uh, it's a good book. We don't have it out there, but you can pick it up sometime on your own. It's called Switch on Your Brain by Dr. Carolyn Leaf. Switch on Your Brain. And I just jotted down two quotes from that book that I was reading last couple years. Here's the first one. She wrote, when you think, you build thoughts. Now that sounds eye-opening, right? But, but hear what she's saying for just a second. 
And these become physical substances in your brain. In other words, what she's saying is science has proved that directed thought actually produces something physical inside of your brain. You can change your thoughts with other thoughts, is what she's saying. Your thoughts can produce other thoughts off of those thoughts. And if you are intentional about those thoughts, it'll produce a physical substance, substance in your brain. It will literally change the molecular chemistry of your brain if you think a certain way. Listen, she goes on to say this. As we think, we change the physical nature of our brain. As we consciously direct our thinking, we can wire out toxic patterns of thinking and replace them with healthy thoughts. You can control what you think about, and by controlling what you think about, you can either drive out or embrace toxic thoughts. You get the choice. It's in your hands. You can decide. So let me help you today. Let me sum up the whole series. I'm going to do it in one sentence, and then we're just going to dig into that sentence for a little bit. But let me kind of sum the whole series up for you. I call this kind of Mental Health 101. You ready? Focus on what you can control. That's really what God's teaching in his word about your mental health. Focus on what you can control. Get focused on what you can control instead of on what you can't control. And there's very little in this world you can control. I've mentioned this every week of the series. You can't control what other people do. You can't control the circumstances around you. You can't control natural disasters. You can't even control your feelings. You can't control what's going to happen to you when you die. You can't control what's going to happen to you when you live. You can't really control what's going to happen to you on the way home today. There's really only one thing in this life you can control. What you think about. That's it. All you can control is your thoughts. Your responses to what happens around you. That's it. I love how Emerson Egerich puts it in his... Uh, I don't know if it's in Love and Respect or a different book he wrote, but he writes, your response is your responsibility. That's all I'm responsible for. What I think about, I get to pick those things. I get to choose my responses and my thoughts. I can't control what happens to me, but I can control what happens in me. You understand? This is what God is trying to teach us. Now let me give you a little bit of backstory before I share this one verse with you. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, I'm going to share one verse with you from that, that chapter, but let me give you the background uh, before I read through it with you. But, but Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, who's the pastor of the church in Ephesus, okay? And Paul is writing this letter from prison. Now that's ironic in and of itself because he's going to talk a lot about persevering and having joy and choosing like good things that God wants you to do. And you think he'd be miserable, but he's in prison. And not only is he in prison, it's his last stint in prison. He's been there several times. Some of us can relate. He's been there several times. And this is his last time there. He lets us know that he's about to be executed and he knows it. He's about to, and, and we don't really know how Paul was executed. Most historians think he was beheaded. And within a year span, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul are both going to be executed for their faith. Peter's going to be crucified, and right before he's crucified, he kind of has one final request, and he asks if he could be crucified upside down because he says he's not worthy to be killed in the same manner that his Lord was killed. And so they crucify Peter upside down, history records, and Paul, most people think, was, had his head cut off. All for their faith. Now, 
That's a crushing blow to Christianity in the middle of the first century AD. Your most prominent leaders are going to be executed. James has already been put to death years ago, and he was the pastor at the church in Jerusalem. And, and so now Peter and now Paul are both being killed, and Paul's writing kind of a final message to this young pastor, Timothy, at the church of Ephesus, and they're putting up with the same kind of persecution he is. That all over the Roman Empire, under the Emperor Nero, in the middle of the first century AD, Christians were being persecuted more heavily than they ever have been in all of history, even to today. They were being dragged out of their homes, put in the Colosseum, and fed the lions. They were being burned at the stake. They were having their heads cut off. They were being crucified. Um, it, it was brutal. The Emperor Nero set Rome on fire. I don't know if you guys ever read this in history or not, but the Emperor Nero literally set the city of Rome on fire and about half the city burned down and then he blamed the Christians for it so he'd have an excuse to treat them even worse. And he started rounding them up, dragging them out. Christians, it was the time in history when Christians had to come up with a secret way to talk to each other because if anybody found out they were a Christian, they'd get put to death. This is what it was like to be a Christian around 50 to 70 AD. You were being executed just for saying you followed Jesus. What kind of anxiety would that bring? What kind of depression would that put you into? If everybody you knew that followed Jesus the best was getting killed, if you knew that the emperor could show up with his soldiers at your door, drag you out, and, and it was said that he was like taking Christians and dipping them in oil, and mounting them on stakes and burning them alive so that he could have parties at night in his garden, what was dark. That was the kind of persecution Christians were putting up with. That's the kind of persecution that was going on at the church in Ephesus. And Paul writes this letter to Timothy to say, while all of that is going on, don't give up. Don't quit fighting. Don't quit being who God made you to be. Don't give up on the Jesus way. You can't control any of that stuff, but you can control what you think about. You can control what's going on on the inside of you. And he writes this verse in 2 Timothy 1.7, and I love it. He says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Some translations say sound discipline. You can't control any of the stuff that's going to happen to you or around you, but God has given you a spirit on the inside that is full of power and love and self-discipline, a sound mind. You can't control that. He's made you more than you think you are. He hasn't made you to run and hide. He hasn't made you to be a fear, fearful person of what others are going to do to you. He's made you to fight, to advance, to conquer, to live victoriously, but not always on the outside. Sometimes you're going to get your tail kicked on the outside. Sometimes you're going to get persecuted and beaten. Sometimes you might get put to death. But on the inside, you're a conqueror. On the inside, you can be victorious. On the inside, you can have thoughts of peace and contentment and freedom. This is the Jesus way. He's made you to live a life of purpose and courage for his glory. And I wonder if they dragged you out of our building today, how many of you would still stand for Jesus? How many of us would say, kill me because he's all that matters to me? 
we get so anxious and so depressed and so lonely and so afraid of tiny little troubles. And if anybody had a reason to give up or to be anxious or to withdraw from society and not share their faith or not to press in, it would be these people. And yet, God calls them to keep pressing on. So I, I kind of summed this series up. Uh, my artwork's not so good. This is my best PowerPoint skills. But I want to show you something that I'm calling the mindset process. This is kind of the process this whole series has been about. Be on the screen here. This is what it looks like. And it's a cycle, and it just keeps cycling in your brain. That what you focus on long enough becomes the things inside you start to say to yourself. And the way you talk to yourself, if you talk to yourself that way long enough, will become the things you believe about yourself. And whatever you believe is true about yourself will determine the way you act. And this is how all of us operate. This is the mindset process. And so these things come into our mind, these thoughts or these feelings or these emotions or these opportunities or these adversities, they all like bombard our life. And then we have this choice. Am I going to focus on them or not? See, I can't, I can't, I can't stop things from hitting my mind. I, I can't decide what gets my attention, but I can decide what keeps my attention. What I'm going to focus on. And you can speak words to yourself of death or words of your, to yourself of life. But the voice you listen to the most will determine the future you experience. You can believe whatever you say to yourself most often. And so if you're repeating stuff that is true from God's word or stuff that is what you feel, that's what you're going to start to believe. And you'll always act consistently with what you believe. Now, this is almost universally across the board Christianity, outside of Christianity, any kind of therapy you go to, they believe this. doesn't matter if they're Christians or not. They, they believe this cycle in some form. They may diagram it differently than I have, but they believe something like this. That what you focus on, what you give your attention to, will drive what you say to yourself. What you say to yourself will drive what you believe about yourself, and what you believe about yourself will drive what you do. And you can talk to yourself with a sound mind, with self-discipline, like Paul told Timothy. And you can form beliefs and take actions with a sound mind and with self-discipline, like Paul told Timothy. But the battle is almost always won or lost back here at Focus. And if you don't fight the battle there, you're most likely going to lose. So here's how I kind of added to this diagram for you. This is maybe um, some of the pieces where non-Christian therapists might not agree. But before you focus, you get a choice. And this is what God's teaching in his word. And the choice is always, will I focus on what I feel or will I focus on what is fact? Now, the problem is what we feel we think is fact. But let me just encourage you, like we talked about in the Grow Your Faith class this morning, if you disagree with Jesus, he's probably right. And you're probably wrong. So if you decide ahead of time, if the fact from God's word is different from the feeling I have inside, I'm going to focus on the fact and not what I feel. 
And so if I feel like a nothing, but God says I'm something, I will focus on being something. If I feel like I can't step out in courage and talk to somebody about my faith, but God says to go into all the world and make disciples, I'm going to step out in courage and focus on sharing my faith. And when I focus on that long enough, I'll start to talk to myself about it. That's okay. It doesn't make you crazy. And when I talk to myself about it long enough, I'll start to believe it. And when I actually believe it, I'll do anything for it, even if it costs me my life. Let me, uh, let me show you that verse one more time. First Tim, or 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. I think. I think I have it again. Maybe not. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, cowardice, fear, unable to act, unable to push forward. God hasn't given us that spirit. God has given us a spirit of power and a love and a self and a sound mind. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, this doesn't apply to you. Sorry, it just doesn't. You're on your own if you're not with Jesus. And if you're not with Jesus, I would encourage you to go back and listen to week one because that's how we started the whole series off by saying none of this matters if you don't surrender everything you are to Jesus first. But if you're here and you're a Christian and you said, I've already asked Jesus to save me and I've already surrendered my whole life to him. And in that instance, he invades your life and transforms you into a new creation. And he wants to continue transforming you by changing the way you think. If that's you, then he has given you a spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. Now, what stuck out to me this week about that, and if you've been at our church for a while, maybe you've heard me share this before, but I don't want to get like too next level in the weeds for every, you know, anybody, but like the, the Bible kind of has this description of God where he exists in three persons. That's hard for us to comprehend, but there's God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. They're not really just three distinct personalities. It's not like he has multiple personality disorder. No, he actually exists as three people all at once. It's, it's mind-boggling. But he is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all at the same time. And the Bible talks about each of those three characters within what we call the Godhead or the triune God or the Trinity or whatever, you know, however you want to describe it, but God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And there are a lot of words used to describe God in the Bible. But I don't think there's a word that describes God the Father in the Bible any more than the word love. He is a loving father who grants you new mercy every day and never gives up on you and is always waiting to embrace you and shower you with grace and affection. He is the God of love, God the Father. And I don't think there's any word when you read through all the passages in the Bible that talk about God the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. I don't think there's any word that better describes God the Holy Spirit than the word power that he is so powerful and he comes into the life of the believer and he empowers you to overcome sin, to live with victory, to defeat anything coming your way, to do miraculous things. To God the Spirit is power. And uh, Jesus, God the Son, comes to earth and becomes this example of what God is. We're supposed to look at him and see what God is like. He said to his followers. When you look, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he said. And so I look at Jesus' life, and uh, 
I don't think there's a word that better describes what Jesus does than the word redemption. Now, the word redemption, it sounds like a big church word, but it just means to buy something back. So Jesus comes on the scene and he lives the perfect life and he dies on the cross and he rises from the dead for one mission only, to buy back your life, to buy back your soul. So you don't have to spend an eternity in hell, so you don't have to live miserable, but you can live with peace and contentment and abundance. He's here to buy back your life, to redeem or purchase back your life from death. And um, what's interesting about Jesus is he becomes redemption, and that redemption is like the perfect picture of everything God the Father is and everything God the Spirit is mixed into one. And when you examine what Jesus did at the cross and at the tomb, there is no other person in this universe that would have died for you than Jesus because he is unlimited love. And it would take unlimited love to die for your enemies. And that's what the Bible says we are to God. We treat him like an enemy. And there's no other person that would have done that except Jesus. But there's no other person that could have risen from the dead for you besides Jesus. He's the only one that had the power to do that. So so think about it for a second. Jesus is supposed to show us what the rest of God is like. And he comes on the scene and God is all loving and the spirit is all powerful. And Jesus goes to the cross and does the most loving thing anyone could do and the most powerful thing anyone could do. And nobody else loves you enough to die for you. And nobody else is powerful enough to rise for you. But Jesus puts it all together and says, I will redeem you. I love that. And then Paul writes to Timothy that what God has given you on the inside is a spirit packed with love and power. That in your mind, you can win. You have a sound mind. You have the discipline it takes to focus your thoughts and embrace 100% of God's love and 100% of God's power and go out and help other people find redemption in Jesus. I love that. I just want to read you one more verse if I can, one more passage. (laughs) In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses is about to die. And he gathers together the whole nation of Israel. And he's about to pass pass leadership on to Joshua. And Moses is not going to get to go into the promised land that God promised to his people. He's going to die before he gets there. Joshua is going to lead them in. And he recounts all of the nation's history to him. It's over a couple chapters. Take you a while to read it. But he says, God has always been there for you. God has taken care of you for these last 40 years where we've wandered around the wilderness together. He's always given you food to eat. He's always given you clothes to wear. He's always protected you from all your enemies. He's even conquered some of the nations he said he would conquer for you. And now he's about to bless you. And even though he's done all of that, you still have a lot of trouble seeing him. You still have a lot of trouble hearing him. And that sounds just like us. God has done so much for us. But even still, it's hard for us to have ears to hear. Even still, it's hard for us to have eyes to see. Even still, it's hard for me not to get anxious. It's hard for me not to want to do whatever my feelings say to do. It's hard for me not to be angry. Even still, in spite of all God has done, it's hard for me not to struggle with my mental health. And he says, I'm not going with you guys, but Joshua's going to lead you in. And, and he leaves them with this challenge. I think it's the same challenge for us in this study. He says this, Today, 
I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that your descendants might live. You can change your family tree. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. This is it. It's just the truth pill. I I wish there was more to it. I wish I could just sell it to you. I wish you could just give me 10 bucks and you'd have peace. I I wish you could just go to a certain amount of therapy sessions and it would all be fixed. I wish you could just ask Jesus to save you and all your problems would vanish away. But instead, we have to choose to fix our thoughts on what he says is worthwhile, to give all of our focus to the things he says are true, to sacrifice everything we are because of everything he is. And if we'll take control of our thoughts and choose Jesus' thoughts over my feelings, you'll be free. You'll be free from anxiety, from worry. You say, you're saying I don't need medication. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the same thing I said to start the series off. I'm saying, what if we tried it Jesus' way before we tried it a different way? I'm not saying therapy is bad. I'm not saying books are bad. I'm not saying podcasts are bad. I'm not saying we don't need medication, some of us. But what I'm saying is, why do we run to every answer but Jesus first? Why don't we do it his way? When I feel like a loner, why don't I remind myself that he says I'm accepted? I'm one of his family. When I feel like I have no talent or ability, why don't I remind myself that he's given me gifts to serve him with? When I feel like nothing's going my way, why don't I remind myself that hope is just over the horizon? When I feel so discouraged and so sad and so depressed and I just want to run and hide, why don't I remind myself that he says I need community? That I need time with him? That I need other brothers and sisters in the faith to hear my confession and pray for me? Why don't I stop going it alone? Today before you is life and death. You get to choose. That's it. Can I pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, will you give the people in our crowd the courage it'll take to choose life over death? To choose your way over their way? To choose the facts over feelings? God, we could could be known as a church that is like almost free free of anxiety, free of depression, free of all these things that are keeping our world trapped. If we would just press into your way, focus our thoughts on what you say to focus on. Let those thoughts and that focus drive the way we talk to ourselves. Let it drive the way we believe. Let it drive the actions we take, God. Would you give us the courage to be real, wholehearted followers of you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening in on the Three Strands podcast. If you've never visited us in person, we'd love to meet you face to face. We gather every Sunday, 11 a.m. at the McCreary County Park Building. We hope to see you soon.